episode number 63 of Down the Rabbit Hole. Hello, Carl. Good morning, Rafa. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, seems that autumn, winter is already here. I think it's starts to be a little chilly. A little chilly, not too bad. No, not too bad. I think it could be colder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so I'm glad we're indoors. Definitely. And we, <laughs> we have some subjects with uh, subject with mm-hmm. some warmth in it today. Yes, I think it's something we have uh, five points that could change our world. Yeah, yeah. If only we could get our act together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I-, I think that's the hard part of all. I think, I think we've discussed this before, but having brilliant ideas is not that difficult. Mm-hmm. It's the execution of yeah. them the yeah. problem. Actually, getting them out of your noodle and into the actual <laughs> physical world. Yeah, there's the definitely. problem. Right? So anyway, so let's start uh, with some news. Some news. Let's do yeah. it. And we have one news which is related to robot lawyers. Oh right? yes, robot lawyers. This is a topic we have uh, discussed before many times. I think. I think yeah, were many cases in the US, other mm. were in the UK. Well, there is a there is a product in the US that does mm-hmm. uh, an AI, a narrow AI niche product that does mm-hmm. what they call the discovery phase in the US. But uh, mm-hmm. this bit of news is about a more recent um, kind of trial, shall we yeah. say? And I'm pretty sure it was conducted in. Oh, it was actually conducted in London, actually. In London, and <clears throat> it's uh, it was uh, an attempt to compare the performance between kind of real live lawyers, if that's. The right term, <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, in a particular application of law, mm-hmm. and a product that's actually made by a, a small startup company uh, in the UK, yeah, I believe is called Case, Case Cruncher, Cruncher Alpha. Yeah, that's the product, right? Case uh-huh. Cruncher Alpha, and this product is the brainchild of four uh, Cambridge. Uh, university law students mm-hmm. and they started out with a simple chat bot that answered legal questions and then they kind of moved uh-huh. on from there anyway um basically what they did was they set up a a kind of a contest between a hundred flesh and blood lawyers yeah and case cruncher alpha and the everybody was given the same stuff Mm-hmm. which was the basic facts of a hundred cases. And the cases were all to do with what in the UK we call PPI, which is yeah. payment protection insurance. Yeah, were hundreds of cases submitted. Hundreds. Yes. And it's all about mis-selling. And would, in the, again, in the UK, we have this thing called an ombudsman who, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if you have a problem and you're not getting satisfaction from the usual channels, you go to the ombudsman and they make a final decision. Yes. And they're going to have people's organs removed and all that stuff. <laughs> it's, you know, it's the ultimate justice thing. And basically, the challenge that the AI case cruncher alpha was mm-hmm. given and the lawyers was, would the financial ombudsman allow the claim mm-hmm. defined in the um, the the hundreds of cases that yes. were given? And the result was very interesting. It was indeed. Because out of 775 predictions, yeah. that computer won 
without any real competition. Well, it says hands down, but I don't think it had any hands, but <laughs> unless it yeah. had some of those mechanical hands with the white gloves. With the white ones, yeah. They, you know. Well, I doubt it, but it's in, they got 86.6% accuracy, right? Yeah. Compared to 66.3% which is for the real flesh and blood. Which, which is worrying because yeah. 66.3%, considering you're paying them for their professional expertise, yeah. is not that much better than chance, right? So I wonder if next time you have a legal problem, yeah. you have almost 50-50. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? It's not that brilliant, is no? it? 66.3%. So you could either win it or lose it. Yeah. And Why don't you just What toss, assurance can you actually get? Toss a coin five times and note down the result and go with that. Right? <laughs> yeah. Interesting, it's, right? It's probably about the same. So the the thing about it is that uh, obviously the thing about um, they look very middle class, don't they? Yeah, yeah. We're watching the picture. We, you can see turtleneck. The link in the really? show notes. Yeah, I mean, pretty hipsterish. <laughs> So, Maybe that's why they got 66%. No, they're the founders. Oh, they're the founders. Oh, I thought it was the lawyers. Yeah, no. Oh, no, those are the three students. Yeah, Turtlenecks, right? I told, no. I told you everything. Okay. Turtlenecks, yeah. right? So, anyway, so um, the interesting... The judges were overseeing this competition, by the way. Yes, and they were, in fact, a law lecturer... Is that Fe- uh, Felix Stefik. Stefik and uh, Ian Dodd from a company called Premonition, which runs the world's mm. biggest database of legal cases. I presume that, yeah. they provided the material. The material, that sounds a little like a uh, minority report. does sound a bit like that. Right, the Premonition, yeah, Premonition thing, yeah. yeah. Anyway, the, the interesting thing yeah. is that um, uh, Ian Dodd from Premonition, who I suspect provided the the case yeah. uh, materials. He said, for certain things, you can ask a machine and it will do the job far more speedily and efficiently than a human. Uh, but I think the thing about it yeah. is that um, clearly, AI clearly has applications where it will outperform humans. Yeah. But I, I think the most important point here is that an AI will not try to interpret or try to... Yeah. It's easier for them to recall arguments and... Well, you're not going to get an AI standing up in court and defending your corner, are you? Yeah, exactly. No. This is the thing, right? So the thing about AI is it is way, way away from being able to evaluate rules and interpret law in order yeah. to make your case in court. So, um, But these kinds of tools clearly are going to encroach upon more junior roles. Mm-hmm. But my sister is uh, uh, in the law business. Yeah. And, um, of course, she, like, I think, in law everywhere around the world, when you come out of law school, you join a practice or whatever to do all these grunt jobs that you have to mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. to gain experience to actually do other stuff. And you get the feeling that maybe these AI specialist tools are going to start either replacing those uh, functions. So how are they going to acquire experience? What, what, yeah. what are, I can't understand. Maybe if they're going to be like your assistant or something. So 
the AI tool is an assistant for yeah, an assistant to you as a yeah, as yeah, a junior definitely. or something, right? Taking the job of a paralegal. Yeah, you say. can sit back and smoke cigars and drink. While he's making all the research. And while the, the AI is doing all the, all the work. Mm-hmm. That seems you just go reasonable. and present in the end your case yeah. with all the proper arguments. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you just, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can see that law is one of those areas that is absolutely wide open to this kind of technology because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of it is knowing where to look up facts yeah it's it's not you know it's about remembering stuff a lot of it isn't it yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you don't need a human to do that true how much interpretation is the truth oh that's the key right because somebody was telling me recently here that unfortunately the law is so much interpreted however yeah, but that's what the lawyers are wants. for. But that's what law- lawyers and judges interpret the law. The, uh-huh. the nuance of the meaning, the blah, blah, this, that, and the other. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So you're never going to replace... Well, it's going to be a long time before that gets replaced. Right? Yeah, it's hard, I think, Shall I tell? Now. Shall I tell you my lawyer joke? Shall I tell you... Yeah, say, 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 say the joke. Yeah. Okay, lawyer joke. Um, why is it that um, lawyers prefer to be buried in uh, really way down in the ground? And the answer is because deep down they know they're really nice. <laughs> okay. What can I tell you? Can I, I, I thought you, you were going to say that why are they buried facing down? Which is? Because in case they want to escape, they will just dig down. Oh, more. Right. <laughs> in that case, I have to tell my, my second one, which is what do you call... Uh, 500 lawyers in a shipwreck at the bottom of the ocean. A good start. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this it's is good. Yeah. This is not. This is not. Uh, we're not being anti. They're just jokes. Right? It's just jokes. Yeah, yeah. Substitute a profession of your choice. Yeah. Maybe we have some lawyer listening. Maybe he knows more lawyer jokes. I'm, I'm sure they know. I'm the, sure they know all the lo- lo- jokes about lawyers. They know the best jokes, probably, but they don't share them. Yes, unless there's some kind of... Uh... My sister has never told me a lawyer joke. No? Ever? Mm. Never. Anyway, that's another subject. That's another subject, yes. Let's move on. Let's move on to the main subject. Let's do it. And episode 35 is all about... Episode what? 63, sorry. <laughs> what did I say 35? Oh my God. Yeah, I'm t- way back. You're time traveling. I'm time traveling now. Shall we start again or... No, it's fine. It's uh, episode 63 is five transformational ideas for the 21st century. Uh-huh. Yes. And some of those here or there we have kind, kind of, of brushed. We've, we've touched on them. Around, touched a little yeah. about them as well. Yeah, but we're going to kind of put it a bit more into context of the, uh-huh. here, the here and now kind of thing. Yeah, right? certainly. And like we were uh, checking, some of them look a little bit like... Science fiction. Sci-fi, a little bit like a novel, like a not possible. Some others are maybe already even happening. The beginning. Or the beginning, I mm-hmm. mean, the testing. There's maybe some people against it. Some people are yeah. up for it. Some of some of these ideas are in the lab and they're about to start mm-hmm. emerging yeah. into the world. But it's very interesting because uh, the first one mm. can actually benefit a problem that is happening around the world with... Uh, the food and the, the environment. Mm. 
Absolutely. And it is lab-grown meat. Which has been done before, tested before. And, and we've all seen it in movies, in books. In, yeah. But it's coming. It's coming, but it has been already happening, something like this. And there's people that disagree or people that try to find that it doesn't taste the same, that, <laughs> oh, you're going to get a lot of... Um, what? Chemicals in there. Uh, yes, but in fact, the, but, way, the way it's yeah. done is mostly with nutrients. Exactly, right? exactly. I think there's a lot of misinformation regarding yeah. this topic. And let's be honest, why do we eat meat? We don't eat meat because we like killing animals. We eat mm-hmm. meat because it's got concentration of proteins and so on and so mm-hmm. forth, right? It's, yep. it's a high energy density food. Definitely. And that's why we... Unfortunately, to eat meat, mm-hmm. something has to die. Yeah. This is a way of bypassing all that. And in terms of environment, mm-hmm. um, it uses 1%. If we could switch, we would end up using 1% of the current land area to produce the same amount of meat. Definitely. Which is incredible. There, there is a graph that you will see if mm. you check that show notes and link article. Yeah. Where we see that for a beef burger, yeah. you use land, water, and energy considered as the 100%. Yeah. If you compare the production that you use for a beef burger mm. to poultry, then you get that poultry will use 27% of land yeah. usage, of 13% of water, and 32% of um, energy. Yeah. And when you move to this new concept of laugh grown meat, mm. it's zero point three or five percent. It's uh, tiny. Really. It's so tiny of yeah. land. It's just two to four percent of water. Yeah, and thirty six to forty six percent or so yeah. of energy. Energy. Yeah, that's saving a lot of resources. It's huge. It's huge, and. Uh, the thing about it is, of course, it obviously would be very um, tightly controlled, the production. There would mm-hmm. be very few disease issues. Yes. Uh, you know, like obviously around the world we've had these various issues with uh, mad, cow, mad, cow. Dis- mad yeah. cow disease, mad chicken. I'm sure there'll be mad people at some point. But... <laughs> oh, no, they already exist. We already had that <laughs> since a long time ago, yeah. yeah we, apparently there's no cure for that. <laughs> so... Uh, what kind of bothers me about it is that, on a bigger picture, yeah. is that we've talked in the past, in fact, recently about population. Mm-hmm. And I think somewhere in these research notes, it says something like that 40% of land use globally is to do with rearing meat, right? Mm-hmm. 40%, right? And that, obviously, as the population continues to grow to potentially from where it is now, 7.5 billion to, say, let us say it peaks at 11 billion, there's going to be huge pressure on this land usage, right? So mm-hmm. there are going to be economic arguments for switching to lab-grown meat. And I've, Definitely. And I've got a feeling that if you couple this uh, population pressures, land use pressures, with the other stuff I think we've talked about, which is the disparity between rich and poor. Rich and poor, yeah. yeah. Right? We're going to end up, we've talked in the past how the gap is getting bigger and bigger, and mm-hmm. potentially we're going to end up in a situation where, and again, this has been endlessly, this is a very common trope in movies and dystopian sci-fi novels about societies where 
you have the bulk of the population who are eating yeah. lab-grown meat, right? mm-hmm. and only the super rich can actually afford an actual an actual burger, something made from an animal, an animal, yeah, and that. Over time, I'm sure we will see social engineering nudging. Nudging, yeah. Right? That makes this attractive. Definitely. And we will see attractive pricing and all this stuff, right? Yeah. To be able, I think, to make a change, it has to be attractive in pricing. It's got to be a no-brainer, right? Because uh, if it becomes attractive to producers, to chains that will sell the food, Mm. that will sell the burgers Mm. in this case. Well, I think a good examples of this kind of thing now are those two, there's two alternatives in the moment is like soya products. The soy products, So we all see the, you know, they make it look like minced meat or, Mm -hmm. and we also see the stuff made from fungi, the... um, Corn, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Q-U-O-R-N, which is made from effectively fungus, right? Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Now, th- those two products are packaged, are produced and packaged to look like minced meat or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is how this is going to go, right? So you'll see yeah. packets of lab-grown meat that looks like... Like mashed min- meat. Yeah. yeah, like minced meat. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Already. Like ready mm-hmm. to make burgers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I... I have no doubt this is where it's going, mm-hmm. and that's how it will make its entrance into, into our, the market. Into and the market, and over time, it will get you know preferential treatment in grants, you know, industrial yeah. grant, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So, before you know it, thirty years from now, ordinary people will be eating this. Yeah, and maybe once a year, you might actually have a steak. In the infographic, we have a, a date. Or a we, set of years, because it says, do. when can we expect to see this burger? Well, between 2018 and 2021. That's right. Which is just right next door, next corner, well, turning not, around the corner, it's 2018 already. Well, there's a, there's a US startup that's saying they'll have it in stores, chicken and duck. <laughs> wow. By 2018. Mm-hmm. And... The environmental footprint that was reading right now also in our notes, that's very important as well. Absolutely. We have talked before about CO2 emissions. Yeah. And a lot of these problems have to do also with uh, with animals yeah. that we use. For example, cows and old cattle. And the methane, CO2 emissions, right? the methane produced and all co- contributes a lot for the pollution and for yeah. the... Uh, Cow- well, cows have very little to do other than... You know, they've very small yeah. social life, right? Yeah. Farting appears to be a major thing with cows. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Farting and pooing and... Yeah. That seems to be... They haven't got a lot going for them on the social front. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they focus a lot on these things. They're producing a lot of methane. Yes, yeah. definitely. Actually, I heard the other day that clams are also another huge producer of methane. Oh, I didn't you know, know that. Seafood. Yeah, I know, I know. The shell uh-huh, food. Uh-huh. Clams. clams. Wow. Huge producers of methane. Interesting. Yeah, well, kind of. Anyway, yeah. so, um, yeah, so obviously um, lab-grown meat is going to have a much smaller environmental footprint. Um, and, well, coming to a supermarket shelf near you. Yeah. Um, so let's go to point number two, I think, or we have any other... I think, I think, no, we're probably, I think we're probably there. So yeah. just, just remember you heard it first, that you're going <laughs> yeah. to be seeing lab-grown meat in the supermarkets yeah. very shortly. 
Mm-hmm. So shall we, yeah, let's move to the next one, which is kind of not that. No, because it's a, it has been in the news it's lately. It's a newsworthy item, isn't it? Yeah, it has constantly been appearing in the news lately, which mm. is driver's le- driverless cars. Yes. And I think with driverless cars, I mean, the thing about it is that, yes, we get it, that obviously if you take humans out of the equation, there's, there are almost certainly going to be less, mm-hmm. fewer accidents. Um, I think the more – well, according to, according to the statistics um, – more than 1.2 million people died in road traffic accidents and 20 uh-huh. million were injured, and that was just in 2013. And um, nearly half of those uh, deaths were in China and India, where I believe driving is a little chaotic. Right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, nine out of ten road accidents happen because of human error. So if, yeah. you, if you remove the human from the equation, obviously things are going to improve. That means nine out of ten. So that's a lot that's of a improvement, drop, right? But what I think is interesting as a bigger picture uh-huh. thing is one is insurance, right? What is this going to mean for insurance? So if you have a driverless car, I own a driverless car. It drives me everywhere. When I insure the car, who am I insuring? Yourself? But or what? I'm not driving. Mm-hmm. Right? So whose fault is it when the car has an accident? Is it my fault? Yeah, I'm you're driving, right. No. Right? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Well, I think these are the more, the wider social questions mm-hmm, about, mm-hmm. I'm sure the car insurance companies have already got a very large room full of lawyers yeah. figuring out how to carry on charging as exorbitant amounts of money for not very much, mm-hmm. which is obviously what they do now. But uh, the other issue is the ethical question of uh, if you're in your driverless car and for some reason there is a mother and child walking a pram across the road and the driverless car has to make a decision between either killing you as the passenger in the driverless car or killing the mother and child, which one is it going to pick? You. Is it? Because if in the other side there's a child... Yes. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, these are but, the, in, yeah, the larger the, the, questions. The point here is, how, how, how are you going to program it to make that decision? Exactly. And who's going and to who program is gonna, it? And who is going to, like we were talking earlier, you know, about uh, are we doing artificial intelligence or artificial stupidity? stupidity. Yeah. Because you build in all the human biases into the artificial intelligence that's making the decisions. How mm-hmm. do you smooth out these yeah, biases yeah. and uh, misconceptions and so on and so forth. So I think it's, I think the the driverless car concept technically is obviously, yeah, is obviously, that's, what was that? <laughs> Are we just carrying on? Yeah. We're just going to carry on. That was, uh, I think that was Rafa's phone. No, actually it was a computer. It was the computer. <laughs> um, so I think, with driverless cars, the interesting questions are not so much the technical stuff, because, yes, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Yes, it's obviously a huge technical challenge. But I think there are actually more challenging questions around it 
Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. And there are threats there for entire industries. Yeah. Um, While probably the technical part is, can be there. It's almost done, I think, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think maybe the, the social part is the yeah. It's the impact of the decision making that mm-hmm. they have to make in extreme and situations. And based on what criteria? And based on what criteria? Because of course, if there's a human driving, then yes, you can make the wrong decision, but we all know who we're going to blame. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, you were the driver. The person of the, the driver. Call. So if a, if a Tesla car makes an incorrect decision, is it Tesla? That's it's responsible? Tesla's responsibility, right? These are big questions, right? Unless the human, you know. <laughs> how about, how about that uh, driverless cars are engineered so that in the moment of crisis, they hand over control <laughs> <to> <laughs> for okay. you to make the final decision. We are decision. five seconds about to crash. Yeah. It's yeah. yours. Over to you. Over to you. Four, three, two, so, oh. too late. It was your fault. It was <laughs> Yeah, and you get a message on your centre console saying, Tesla thanks you for your decision. <laughs> <laughs> Will your next car be a Tesla? Uh, it's an interesting Yeah. Question. So, yes, we are going to see fewer accidents. And yes. the other thing, of course, I just want to touch on briefly uh-huh. is, we were just talking about it before recording, is about self-driving trucks. Trucks. That has caused a right? big uh, controversy with big associations of truck drivers. Yeah. And Particularly, obviously, in the US, they're very the US. vocal about it. Yeah. And my understanding is there is a company, not Tesla, I don't think it is, there is a company who are bringing out a uh, driverless truck in the next couple of years. Yeah, in fact, the infographic we have says, when to expect the first fully autonomous vehicle mm. between 2019 and 2026. Right. Again, 2019 is not that far away. It's nowhere. Right? Right? It's, and uh, again, I think uh, if you think about trucks, mm-hmm. you you can imagine, for example, obviously a lot of truck driving is done on motorways, freeways, you yeah. know, expressways or whatever. So you can imagine an interim solution where mm-hmm. once a truck gets onto a freeway or expressway or a motorway or whatever, it's automatic and they form up into convoys or whatever. And it's only when they come off that maybe the human driver takes over. Mm-hmm. Right? But of course, maybe you don't have to pay that human driver so much. right? Yeah. So, So it may not initially overnight eliminate the human truck driver, mm-hmm. but it will put pre- downward pressure on on wages, on salaries, so that they won't be able to earn as much. Yeah. Well, there was recently also a big discussion related uh, to some of these things about, the, again, mm. the topic of the universal income. Right. Uh, because this topic just started to appear and appear more often yeah. lately. With all these revolutions and changes. Yeah, it is, it is a natural result mm-hmm, of these mm-hmm. uh, technologies, isn't it? Yeah. That there's going to be mm-hmm. effectively Definitely. mass unemployment, right? Yeah. So, next one. Well, that was cheery. Let's yeah. move on to the next one. Next one is the blockchain banking revolution. Another very interesting Another right? uh, up-to-date topic mm. appearing all the time around. Mm news, articles about Bitcoin and well, cryptocurrency. Not that very many people actually understand it. Probably, yeah. yeah, yeah. Probably most of the people don't understand what it means to mine. Yeah, what blockchain actually blockchain is. Blockchain is. 
So the interesting part was mm. that uh, right now, two billion adults have no bank accounts. Mm, that is interesting. Because they can access a bank, they are culturally excluded, particularly yeah. women, or yeah. their incomes are too low. Exactly. They live out of the day. And effectively, they are reliant on cash. It's a cash mm-hmm. economy, right? Yeah. And they can't get loans, they can't draw attract investments. Mm-hmm. And yet, obviously, in emerging economies, um, those are the, exactly the people you actually want to encourage, right? Yes, and this uh, brings up another controversy about money, yeah. how money gets its value, yeah. <laughs> uh, because this has been a long-time discussion. Of course. If actually what we're having and using right now as money, mm-hmm. whatever currency you want to call it, yeah. It has actually probably the same value as a cryptocurrency would have. Yeah, well, it's obviously what used to be the case up till I think it was about 1948, I think it was, uh-huh. was that most currencies were based on a gold standard. Gold standard. Right? And they were and, back, They had to be backed up by the gold. Exactly. And then slowly, country after country um, broke the connection between their currency and gold so that they could build inflation into their economy definitely right? which is how they erode people's savings right mm-hmm. this is a long term plan yeah. by governments to devalue uh-huh. people's um, wealth right yes and effectively the currencies we have today are actually what are called fiat currencies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which means basically the money's worth what the government tells you it's worth. What it, what, exactly what somebody's telling you that it's there worth. There is no external reference, right? No, because the value of the paper itself yeah. is nothing. Well, obviously it's nothing. So it's it's all a matter of confidence, right? Mm-hmm. That's and what trust it on it, yeah, yeah. yeah. And let's face it, trust is at a low ebb in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of um, Definitely. Uh, countries around the world, right? And blockchain is a very interesting technology mm-hmm. that effectively can decouple money, for want of a better word, yeah. from the banking system. And this is where another big problem comes. Vested interest, right? Yes, the interest of bankers. Yeah. I And I know that banks are uh, in, investing or spending millions and millions and millions of dollars around the world trying to understand blockchain and trying to figure out a way to own it well how they can get control yeah how they can use it inverted commas um so on and so forth because of course blockchain is the biggest threat to the established banking system Mm -hmm. yet right because effectively using blockchain you don't need a bank you don't need at all. It's peer-to-peer. It's peer-to-peer. Value exchange. You have your wallet, yeah. you secure your wallet, and you can receive or send money. Yeah. And that's it. It's just value yeah. moving around uh-huh. in a, uh, effectively, an inviolate digital form. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing, again, about blockchain is that obviously uh, it is a th- threat and it could profoundly disrupt the existing financial institutions. And, you know, let's be honest, governments want to have control of a currency. Currency, because it means their economy. And they want you to use their currency. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, blockchain is a threat 
to their power base. Just, just like the internet has become a threat to state lines and borders. Yeah. So and so forth, just right? because you don't need anything for yeah. using uh, any cryptocurrency. No. You can, you just need internet and a device. Yeah. Can be a phone, can be a laptop, can be even hardware yeah. uh, wallets. Yeah. So you just have to have it. You exchange. Yeah. So the thing about cryptocurrency and, uh, and blockchain technology and the um, the people who currently don't have access to a bank account, if the, the mobile phone is obviously the liberating technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, in again, in these emerging economies, they tend to leapfrog uh, technological boundaries that in older um, uh, societies we've gone through yeah. wired telephone networks and blah blah blah, mm-hmm. blah blah. They go straight to digital um, cellular technologies, and then of course blockchain fits perfectly in with that um, yeah. thing. So in an emerging economy, you can imagine it would be far easier to introduce blockchain technology and empower these micro entrepreneurs mm-hmm. to actually access finance in some new and novel ways that is currently not possible um, and basically disrupt the world of commerce. Yeah. Which is mm-hmm. always something. Yes, there, there is always a price to pay for disruption, but time and time again, we've seen that out of disruption Definitely. comes opportunity. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there is actually a concept called, um, Creative destruction, yeah. which is that for something new to emerge, you, you have, have to, to actually destroy something. Yeah, you have to bring the chaos you have to so clear that the order decks. comes back again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think blockchain falls into that, right? Definitely. Anyway, very interesting subject. Mm-hmm. And we move to the next one, which is fusion power. Yes. Another kind of sci-fi style. Kind of, yes, I think we refer to it as confusion recently. Yes, we had an episode <laughs> called Confusion. Because the problem... <laughs> with fusion is uh, how long it's taking right yes exactly it's a big problem um now where we are at the moment is we use fission nuclear fission fission which is basically splitting atoms Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um now by splitting them uh we get a lot of energy for example yeah uh with current fission technology we get about 2.7 million times more energy per gram of fuel than you would with the same amount of coal. Yeah, but also very long-lasting wastes. This is this is the problem, that with fission, uh, you have these horrible byproducts, yeah. waste products. Um, and, of course, you've also got the potential for a huge environmental damage with mm-hmm. a, a meltdown yeah which we had with chernobyl obviously mm-hmm. and three mile island was the other example now the interesting thing about fusion mm-hmm. is that there is virtually no radioactive waste uh now the interesting thing about virtually no radioactive waste <laughs> is that I've got a feeling they probably said something very similar about fission when it came. Yeah, out. definitely. If I, because I'm very old, I remember when uh, uh, the first nuclear power stations were coming online. The selling point was this was going to produce electricity that was so cheap we could give it away. 
Yeah, but yeah. they don't, of course. Has anybody noticed that happening? No. No, no, no. Because, of course, we now, we then found out that the byproducts were so horrible <laughs> and so horribly expensive to deal with yeah. that it made it expensive. Yeah, the managing of the waste is the main problem. That's where all the money is, right? Yeah, definitely. Clearing up the sites, making it uh-huh. safe again. Anyway, but... Throw it to the lake. But... <laughs> but or ship it to China. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but apparently nuclear fusion has virtually no radioactive waste and the main... Except for a helium, gas. Helium yeah. gas. We'll it, just make you sound funny. It will make you sound funny. Uh, and we could use it for blowing up party balloons. Yes, definitely. Right? So big boost there for the party industry. Uh, yeah. R- radioactive helium gas... Is the new thing. Is the new thing, yeah. So what is the problem with fusion? Well, if we just finish with what do they use as fuel? Uh There are two uh, things. One is deuterium and one is tritium. And deuterium Mm -hmm. we can get from seawater. Yes. Um, And uh, tritium we can get from another metal called... Which is lithium. Lithium, right? Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of that about. It's very common. Yeah, it's common. And these two fusion fuels produce many times the energy per gram than fission fuels. And remember, fission fuels produce millions Mm -hmm. of more times. There's a very interesting uh, example. A single gram would produce enough heat to boil the water in a swimming pool. Now, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah. I mean, a boiling swimming pool has got to be something (laughs) to see, right? Yeah, true. Um. With fusion, we can do that, but here's the problem: it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, not we, yet. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Um, we're trying, but not a, there yet. The technical challenges are unbelievable. Right? Uh huh. So the problem is that for sh- fusion to work, we have to contain a plasma, which is the uh-huh. fourth uh-huh. state of matter. Uh huh. And because we uh, are on Earth, in order to make this work, we have to get the plasma to over 100 million degrees Celsius. Now, in anybody's book, that's hot. Right? <laughs> Definitely. It's many, many, many times the temperature of the yeah. surface of the sun, mm-hmm. and we have to do it on Earth. Yeah, it's so hot that you cannot really have some uh, marshmallows. Uh, you can, but you'd have to be about two light years away. which kind of defeats the object yeah Uh, so in in order to just to give you a hint of the technologies this plasma that is 100 million degrees Mm -hmm. has to be contained in a magnetic containment because there is no material that can contain it and the problem is the stability of that is the stability and apparently there's a lot of neutrons of particles are produced by this process and it actually uh shall we say alters at the atomic level Mm -hmm. the containment shell that has the magnetic field anyway Uh these are all problems that they've managed to solve in star trek oh definitely yeah totally sorted Mm -hmm. you i've I've got a feeling they have a desktop fusion generator they certainly (laughs) i'm sure they have one in stargate that's for sure uh-huh, uh-huh. You can probably fit one in your briefcase. Right? Why not? So we know it's possible. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of time. But there is... And speaking of all time, right? <laughs> there is a joke in uh, the fusion industry, which is that fusion power is 
no further away than 30 years and it always will be because yeah. every time every time they get asked when is going to be ready 30 years in 30 years i think we'll be there and after 10 yeah 30, in 30 years, years right now there are 35 countries collaborating to build a prototype fusion power plant uh, it's the world's mm. largest tokamak which is a toroidal containment uh-huh. uh, device and it's being built in southern france uh, they haven't switched it on yet. Uh, they're going to switch it on in the early 2020s. <laughs> and they think they will have the first sustained fusion reaction in the early 2030s. And that, Quite some time and still. The, and, that, and that isn't even a production fusion reaction. No. That is a prototype. And the infographic is actually telling us but that by 2045... We might have something. We might have something already. And it will be huge. Yeah. I think it'll be probably several times bigger than like a nuclear plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How are we going to get that in a in a deep space ship? I don't know. Mm. It's going to be big. Yeah. I think they're going to have a really elegant spaceship and then a really long tether on the back pulling this huge cube with the fusion reactor. <laughs> So something like a Star Trek spaceship, right? Yeah. Well, the thing in the bottom now it's um yeah. Well, they can have it looking like a Star Trek thing, but like half a mile behind will be this huge bloody thing. <laughs> <laughs> Because we haven't figured out how to make it small yet. I think yeah, that's well, that's anyway. That's the next step. It's a, it takes time, right? Yeah. I'm sure Elon Musk can sort it out. Oh, yeah. I think the Tony Stark of The Tony Stark. The real Tony Stark, Of the right? real world, right? Yeah. Anyway, I just remember that because I just watched with my daughter Iron Man movies. <laughs> I love those movies. Anyway, the final idea. The f- asteroid mining. The fifth idea. Yeah. Asteroid This mining. is also very uh, sci-fi-ish. Very. It has been mentioned so many times since maybe the 50s. We've seen it in the movies. We've seen it in yeah. books, right? Yeah. Is it science fiction or not? Well, no, it isn't. No. Because some companies are already starting to to consider it serious mm. and set up. There is actually a company. Yeah, actually, yeah. Called Planetary Resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a number of them, actually. Yeah, and the advisors are James Cameron, uh, that co-founder of Google, Larry Page. Mm. I'm not sure they're qualified to, but they have very deep pockets. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's what this is going to need, right? Yeah. So the thing about, uh, I think we covered uh, in a previous uh, rabbit hole that uh-huh. currently with our population at 7.5 billion, we are actually consuming the resources equivalent of three Earths. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So at our current rate, where 40 or to 60% of the global population are living on or below the poverty line, We're already consuming three Earths' worth of resources. Mm-hmm. So as these uh, emerging economies uh, get richer and they also want uh, iPhones and uh, <laughs> yeah. and Beat headphones and uh-huh. uh, 50-inch TVs, guess what's going to happen to those resources? It's not going to be three Earths. It's going to be six or seven. Six right? or seven, yeah. So clearly that's not sustainable. No. And as we talked in a previous episode, we're going to end up 
consuming all our resources. Well, we're going to end up with the Earth's going to end up just being a shell. Mm-hmm. Right? And we'll yeah. just live on the surface. Maybe we could then start living on the inside. If it didn't actually break before that. If it didn't, if it was not like an eggshell. Yeah. So uh, asteroid mining is potentially seen as a mm. way of, shall we say, relieving pressure yeah. on uh, destroying But, our environment. Yeah. It presents a lot of challenges. Huge challenges. Really many. Uh, starting... Well, there was already the experiment, remember? Uh, what was the name of the probe that they sent to the... Filet, was it? Filet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The one that scratched the around scratch, Yeah, they, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the one yeah. they lost, you mean. They lost and found after yeah. checking the pictures. <laughs> they when... found it was in a crevice with its legs in the air going, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I tried. <laughs> yeah. So, Roll first on. of all, that's the main, the, or the first... Uh, well, the technology is not there yet. Is being developed they but, made that first test with this one but there are uh, as far as i understand it nasa have got a project that is funded mm -hmm. to go and grab a, a small asteroid it's not that big uh and pull it into uh, a moon orbit. orbit a moon orbit uh -huh. um and they're going to do that by apparently it's going to be wrapped in some kind of bag. Okay. And then they're going to tow it into Moon Orbit, and then they're going to send a manned mission to go and have a look at it. Now, these companies, if you look at these companies' websites, they all have their own visions about mm -hmm. what, what it might look like. But a lot of them are actually robotic. Yeah. You know, and they go and do prospecting and uh, using mm -hmm. robotic stuff. Um, the interesting thing is... And again, there is, I think there is a wider question here. But there was a study done by, um, who was it? Uh, by a US university. Caltech. Uh, Caltech. And, which, um, and they looked at um, the cost of capturing a, five, uh -huh. a 500 tonne um, near-Earth object. Now, uh -huh. that is only like seven meters wide. That's not, you know, that's not that, very big, That's right? not that big, yeah. It's, it would fit in a space not much bigger than this room, right? Yeah, and the cost is 2.6 billion. <laughs> that's right. Just for that little rock. Yeah, just to get that rock into <laughs> some kind of accessible orbit. Uh -huh. uh, and you think, my God, that is a lot of money, right? Yeah. But, but how much is it worth? That's the thing, right? If you could, for example, um, that was a 500 ton, seven meter, mm -hmm. 23 feet rock. If you could get a platinum rich asteroid that was 500 meters across, which is pretty big. It's huge, yeah. And I can see the disaster movies now. Mm -hmm. um, dinosaurs come to mind first. Dinosaurs come and Bruce Willis in you know mm -hmm. some kind of mission. Armageddon. Yeah. Um, if you could get a, uh, a metal rich asteroid that was 500 meters in diameter, it could supply 175 times the world's current platinum output. Yeah. And I find that interesting in that I read this really interesting 
interesting thing about asteroid mining, which is it's all mm-hmm. very well talking about bringing an asteroid from, you know, the outer solar system. Yeah. And let us say it's full of uh, rare earth metals or whatever, maybe gold or whatever, right? Yeah. The thing is that you can't just take the um, the gold from, say, that asteroid and bring it to Earth because you would destroy the gold market. Definitely. Right? Or the platinum market or the whatever market, yeah. right? The thing about these markets is that these things have these values because they are rare, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And it would have to be very carefully managed, wouldn't it? Yeah, definitely. Because of the quantities. Mm-hmm. So, so you could have a company that gets a suitably uh, composited asteroid in, say, moon orbit, yeah. and they actually mine it for 50 years. Yeah. But here's another thing. Mm. How much, well, depends on the size, I suppose, could have, uh, in effect, an asteroid brought into orbit of the moon. Well, you think it might the affect The effect with uh, Earth's... Tiny, though, wasn't it? With the tides and... And the movement of the oceans. Yeah. But it'd still be tiny, though, wouldn't it? Could be tiny, yeah. Could be tiny. Could be tiny. You're right. But I think, I think, obviously, there are all kinds of safety issues. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oops. Somebody oh. kicked it. <laughs> it's going we out. We seem to have lost control of that. <laughs> it's out of orbit. It's, uh, yeah. So you can see all kinds of... Uh, <laughs> Plenty of material for Hollywood blockbuster movies yeah, and yeah, so on yeah. and so forth. But the interesting thing, just going back to the resources, is that if you talk about rare earths, mm-hmm. if we talk about mobile phones, for example, mm-hmm. right? mobile phones have a number of rare earth components in them, yeah. which are metals, basically. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they're called rare earths is not because... They're very scarce. Actually, they're actually very common. The problem Mm -hmm. with them is they're in very tiny quantities. Quantities. In a volume, right? And to get a fairly small amount out, you've got to dig a big hole in the ground. It's like uh, Apple Watches and the Sapphire and uh, Crystal, for example. Exactly. The Gorilla Glass, whatever Uh it's called. Now, at the moment, there are very few mines on this entire planet that produce rare earths in quantities to provide... Enough to provide for the production of... And uh, they're mostly in China, right? mm -hmm. So rare earth production is actually becoming a geopolitical issue. Oh, yeah. Because effectively China could cripple Western manufacturing Mm -hmm. in certain sectors by limiting the export of rare earths. Of those materials. So there are... Right now, there are many prospecting things going on around the rest of the world, thinking mm-hmm. we need to find more rare earths. But of course, rare earths, you have to dig very big holes in the ground to get not that much out. So clearly, asteroid mining would have a very positive environmental yeah, uh, definitely. thing there. So there are, are five yes. transformational ideas. And just to finish, we have uh, a movie... Food. Which is related yeah. to the first point, which is food INC. Yes. Food Incorporated. Yeah, yeah. So this is a kind of an activist documentary yeah. uh, that looks at the cost of industrial food, uh, food production 
and that the effect on the public and exposes the food industry, how it interacts with water, yeah. air, earth, and people's uh, health yeah. in general, uh, particularly children, of course. And the, this movie actually helped influence the important policies such as the Child Nutrition Act, Reauthorization, and the Food Safety Act. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting point here that we've covered before. Before. Which is to do with water. Uh-huh. And about how uh, countries uh, compensate for their lack of water mm-hmm. by importing food products. Food already, yeah. Where the water is consumed in the country of origin. Yeah. And again, this whole food industry is all tied in with this mm-hmm. move redistribution of water around the globe isn't it yeah so basically this could give you a the context yeah. of how to put it in, in on the how side to think about it think yeah. about it of mm. how much could or how could benefit mm. having lab grown meat for example yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's the very good picture on the uh on the uh <laughs> on the, which is a cow with a barcode on it yeah yeah with the barcode there. Uh, very nice. Very yeah. nice. So, yeah, the, this is That's, a yeah. food and water resources are obviously a major issue mm-hmm. going ahead with our population issues. Yeah, definitely. So, That's an, it. Inter- an interesting movie, an interesting yeah. group of topics. And like this, we finish uh-huh. the episode of today. Five ideas. What... Of those five ideas, what for you are maybe the most either surprising or? Mm. I don't know if surprising because one way or another, the, all those have been around in the news and in yeah. previous topics. But uh, do you find some more worrying than others? Or well, the asteroid mining, I think it's a little bit still far, bit out, far bit off. There, right? Yeah, the. Self-driving cars might be very, very soon mm. coming. Or they're already semi-automatic, or they're having a lot of tests about fully. But I wonder if self-driven leg- cars. But I wonder if legislation might hold it up because of these yeah. ethical things. Yeah, and then we come back to this uh, part of legislation and mm. how can we call it uh, ethics and yeah, the ethical whatever stuff. Right? The other one, which is the the food lab meat. Right? That could be, the problem is that still is very controversial. Mm. Now people complains or are, gets uh, very... Yeah, people are objecting. Objecting all kind of stuff related to food, to, for example, I understand the arguments, for example, with GMOs. Right. Yeah, but they're not but genetically exactly, modified. Exactly, they're not genetically modified things. And I can't, under, I can't understand how the, like, Petra, which is the animal... Yeah. How can they get upset about... Lab food. Just, <laughs> you will save animals in the end. Just a lump of flesh, right? Yeah. It's, so, I don't know. I don't know if there's anyone one that... W- it's really like surprising. Is it, is it more of a marketing problem? Than I an think ethical so. Problem, right? I think so. Yeah. I think it is. It's more of a conceptual issue. Mm-hmm. I think that if they would present with the right angle, yeah. all those points, the right BS. Is yeah. What is exactly. Exactly. Very good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Carl. Thank you, Raf. And we we'll talk to you next week. Down the rabbit hole. Don't forget to send us your comments. Please do. Whatever you want. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.
All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved. Dark Mind Radio 2017.